Elon Musk rebranded to X. It's no longer Twitter. And people are speculating now, of course, that that means that Dogecoin will be the global reserve currency of X and therefore the global reserve currency of the planet and therefore the most important asset ever to exist on planet Earth and will henceforth be worth $10 a coin. Have my doubts, but we're going to discuss it today and everything else happening in the crypto market and, of course, the prospects for Bitcoin now that it's broken down out of the range. I've got David Young from Coinbase to discuss at the beginning, and then, of course, Texas West Capital, Christopher Aikes, in the back half of the show. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of Wall Street. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and scan your eyeball with an orb right on the like button, because I know that all of you in the past two days have rushed to get in line at wherever the arbiter and distributor of eyeball orbs is so that you can get your free world coin, even though you don't know what it might actually be worth or what it actually does, because obviously, obviously the fully diluted valuation of WorldCoin should be more than that of ChatGPT and OpenAI, which it was when it opened, believe it or not. That is an actual fact. So I'm just going to go ahead and bring on David. We're going to talk about everything that's happening today. I didn't intend necessarily to go into WorldCoin again because we did it yesterday, but I was literally low diving in even further yesterday on Twitter Spaces, and it opened at a $28 billion valuation, which was probably what Musk should have paid for Twitter, if we're being honest. Right? He paid $44 billion, but maybe he should have paid about 30 and was more than the valuation of OpenAI chat GPT, also owned by Sam Altman. How broken is our crypto coin <laughs> launch tokenomics model? I mean, I no one knows what it should be worth, and I, I'm with you. Like, you, well, I, I can't also say that it shouldn't be worth up to thirty. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like, but to your point, like, I don't know what it does. I don't know what I can do with this. Like, there's, there's, you know, like, there's no measurable way to actually estimate like what the actual value of it should be worth, except that a lot of people speculatively think it should be going up. I have these uh, these foam earplugs from when I went to Grand Prix. $10 billion. I say so. Yeah, I say so. I, it doesn't make any sense. And obviously, listen, so this is, I think it's a continuation of a VC model that's actually starting to somewhat die in crypto. Maybe I, I'm wrong, but I mean, this was the 2020, 2021. You get in on a presale. It somehow launches publicly you know, add 100x the valuation of what you paid for it. I believe all of these uh, investors basically paid a billion dollars. It's, you know, I think it's sitting at 21, 22 billion right now. But it's cheaper and it doesn't matter because they don't have the coins to sell. So it's just going to naturally come down, I would imagine. But that means that uh, maybe you don't want to rush in and buy this yet. I mean, we, we have seen that at least in Q1 this year, uh, investments on the VC side for on like AI projects did actually decline not so much in line with everything else, like everything declined, but they were a little bit more moderate. Um, 
And I would say that OpenAI, for example, has done raises that have been more exceptional compared to everything else that's been happening in the VC tech space. Um, you know, like it, it's hard to get anything besides a pre-seed or Series A kind of funding these days. Like it's like post-Series A, it's, it's still been really tough across the board. So to be fair, OpenAI, like it, it's, you know, even to, you know, if you extend that over to like WorldCoin and this kind of uh, raise with a token launch, it has stood out uh, among some of these VC projects. Yeah, that, listen, I mean, it could be absolutely massive. I have no doubt that Sam Altman is uh, seriously behind this and that he's a genius, but it just makes me laugh still when things like this kind of happen, especially when it's like 1% of the existing supply is even on the market, and 99% that's eventually going to just be released and obviously will be a selling pressure of some sort. But listen, I, did, I really didn't mean to talk about WorldCoin today. It just uh, that's fair. happened to come out when I, uh, I mean, you know, they're probably scanning our eyeballs right now. I'm saying you've been pointing to your eye a lot. I mean, did you get your eyeball scanned yet? No, I feel like it's getting scanned right now. Like, uh, the, 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 if, if they didn't get me on the orb, they've definitely gotten me on my iPhone or gotten me on YouTube, I would imagine. But I could be wrong. But obviously, the lead story today, Elon Musk's Twitter overhaul could be huge for Doge and crypto generally. Elon clearly has an affinity for Doge, almost as part of a running joke. But I wouldn't be surprised if he actually went through enabling payments via Doge. Eh, I think he might enable payments via Doge, but I don't think anyone would care. That's my take. This one's it kind of falls in the purely speculative bucket, but he's done these things before. He's put it on his webpage. I mean, this is, you know, what what's showing up when you go to the X logo. It's got that like superimposed Doge on it. I just, yeah, I've got that right. For people who are wondering, I brought up his profile and tried to zoom in right here. It kind of looks like his, I guess that's his location, is X Doge. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pretty big for Doge though. Okay, so what we do know is that he intends for X to effectively be like the bank or payment system of the future, right? We're talking about the guy who invented PayPal or was a part of that. And we know that that's probably actually what OpenAI also wants to do. I think we know that right now that's what Apple wants to do with Apple Pay. Everybody wants to can be the financial system of the future outside of the banks. Yeah, the, the everything app. Yeah. So, but do you think the everything app is really about finances? I mean, in part, I mean, it, it's finances can kind of connect you to everything because you got to pay for stuff. So it makes sense. And if Doge is the unit of account that allows us to do that, well, sure, then you could expect reasonably that that should go up. But whether he's actually going to implement that is another question entirely. And I have no clue. I don't think anyone does. I don't even think Elon does. Uh, but, you know, we're in this kind of like lull period now where we've had a lot of good news kind of back to back. Like Bitcoin had the benefit of getting the like BlackRock ETF announcement uh, and then all the follow-up after that with Fidelity and your ARC and 21 and all this kind of stuff. And then right after that, like Ripple came out with a huge kind of win for this space, uh, which, you know, it was more nuanced than that. I think certainly you have to say, like, the good news was you're not all the, you know, like none of these things can be a wholeheartedly described as a security. It depends on the conditions. Um, and, you know, certainly the SEC is suggested they're going to appeal. But, I think because of that, we saw this kind of peak in Bitcoin. And then now Bitcoin dominance is falling from like 41% to like 26%. 
At the same time, Bitcoin's moderating in price. I mean, this is a new regime. Like we haven't seen this all year, you know, like all year it's been like some combination of like Bitcoin dominance going up Bitcoin price is going up or like uh, dominance going up, but Bitcoin price falling. This is like a new regime suggesting that people are trying to look for some of the altcoin projects that they can kind of hang their hat on. Um, and it's been moving that way since uh, since Ripple kind of happened. But it's tough, especially when the dollar is this strong, uh, when we got like all these central banks kind of reporting this week. Uh, it's it's just a really difficult environment to make any reasonable uh, decisions. Yeah, and uh, listen, I mean, I think that uh, people are making a huge jump even just in the fact that cryptocurrency would be involved, right? I mean, X will most likely be a payment app much more like an Apple Pay or something like that without any necessity for crypto in the first place. So you have to make the jump that it's going to be crypto, then the jump that it's going to be Doge, which is a wildly volatile uh, cryptocurrency that will become even more wildly volatile if it became adopted and therefore would be horrible for payments. Yeah. Uh, I think that's right. I mean, like the, the trouble with this too is your transaction currency is also going to be the currency that you're trying to appreciate in value. And it doesn't really work that way because if Doge is going up in value and you believe that it's going to strengthen from like, you know, pennies to a, a dollar, for example, that, that makes it much harder to use uh, inside the system. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So you kind of just described this interesting environment we're in right now. It's not really that this time is different, but it's kind of hard, I think, to parse where things are going because crypto, for the first time in a long time, has seemingly detached from other markets and is actually reacting to news. We had this very long period, I feel like, where we just maybe it was just because it was all bad news and things just didn't react, but obviously reacted massively to the Bitcoin ETF news from, from BlackRock to the upside for Bitcoin, but then altcoins kind of retraced their downside from the Coinbase suit back up uh, very quickly after the Ripple news. But now it feels like we've gone back to boring town. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, a lot of this stuff was also happening outside of the U.S. as well, because you couldn't like, I mean, like the Worldcoin stuff, you can't buy it in the U.S. You know, you can you can do these things offshore. Same thing for a lot of the altcoins that, that are out there, like post Ripple. Even in the U.S., if you wanted to get access to some of these projects or come to these tokens that you're interested in, still really hard to do inside the U.S. It, it takes time to onboard in the U.S., especially if, like, uh, you know, someone's trying to buy it on Coinbase, for example. We have a system in place. So a lot of these flows that we saw tended to happen uh, outside of the U.S., and they were very rapid, and they, they kind of happened, and then they kind of reversed. Yeah, they, not only reverse, it just seemed like we had like two hours of excitement after Ripple. Everything went up massively, and then sort of this slow bleed. I think as the as the as it sort of soaked in. But I mean, listen, you're at Coinbase. Obviously, there was a relisting there of Ripple. I think my sentiment, at least in the United States, and I've been saying that is, regardless of the legal opinions of every lawyer who comes in on both sides. For now, most people are not concerned, maybe for the next year, year and a half, that these things are generally securities. So I would imagine that at least in the United States, it gives people a bit more confidence to trade or hold or at least not just dump and panic all of these assets, which is what they were doing on the SEC enforcement. Yeah, I think so. And I, I don't know, I, I tend to have more of a you know conspiratorial view that certainly the timing of the uh, you know, SEC announcements prior to the drop of like the uh, actual Ripple ruling 
or Ripple summary judgment, I should say, you know, probably wasn't an accident because it seemed like, you know, it was kind of convenient that that happened right before the Hinman docs kind of got released, right before it sounded like, you know, already Ripple was positioning or at least positioned for a kind of better judgment in this case. Yeah. And so I think, Ben, what's interesting, I agree with you. I think, obvi- I mean, listen, you don't roll out a massive enforcement action against Binance on Monday and Coinbase on Tuesday unless it's somewhat coordinated, right? Because even the bandwidth of the agency to manage those is tremendous. So they had to be planning it. The question is, did they know if BlackRock was going to then submit for the ETF or if that was the big wild card that the SEC did not know? I mean, in my mind, I feel like the SEC and BlackRock are probably like in cahoots to some degree, a rotating door, but it really felt like the BlackRock ETF news just took all the wind out of the sails of the SEC. And that was probably a surprise even in advance of the Ripple judgment. Yeah, you know what I know. I mean, like, I, I feel like uh, what happened with uh, BlackRock tend to be more of an independent event. Yeah. Um, but certainly it stood out in juxtaposition to what the SEC was doing of like, this is the time that you want to roll out an ETF. Like it, it just feels like they, they know something, you know, like you don't, you don't just do that in a like pretty tough regulatory environment, unless you had a lot of faith in the ecosystem or in these tokens or in like Bitcoin, you know, like you do it because, uh, you know, there, there's some level of actual belief in what you're doing. Yeah. And I mean, it's obviously you're at Coinbase, but not even speaking in that capacity. I think it's been huge that everybody did the surveillance sharing agreement with Coinbase, right? Because I mean, it basically is this massive stamp of approval, in my opinion, from all of Wall Street that Coinbase is a market of significant size, that that qualifies to get an ETF approved, whether we do or not. And then obviously just, you know, safe custodian and viewed, uh, outside of the lens of maybe how the SEC is seeing it. So I, I have to imagine there had to be some celebration at Coinbase when all of this happened after that suit. Well, I think that people misinterpret something, which is that they believe if you don't have a certain percentage of the market, for example, I think some people claimed, well, in terms of trading volumes, for example, Binance is significantly larger. Um, and we can debate whether there are, you know, wash trading or other things that kind of contribute to that uh there's been arguments on that side i'm not pushing that that theory but i'm suggesting that like the issue isn't whether you own like 50 percent of this market in terms of trading volume it's really how like how much does a you know and i'm, I'm just picking numbers here like a two percent five percent a seven percent a ten percent kind of share uh, give you in terms of preventing market manipulation from happening and that is actually much more significant. I think that's what people are missing when they kind of say, well, you need to have like a dominant kind of share of the trading volume in order to be able to successfully participate in that surveillance shell agreement. I'm like, actually, no, you don't. We can actually prove that even having a 7% share, for example, already gives you significant visibility to preventing a lot of the market manipulation that, uh, that I think the SEC might be concerned about. Yeah, I agree. So listen, outside of these obvious topics that we, I feel like, have beaten to death on every Twitter spaces, YouTube show, and whatever for the last few months, is there anything else that you're looking at that's getting you excited right now? I mean, obviously, it seems like as the United States is dealing with what's happening, Asia is ramping up, right? I mean, Binance coming back into Japan, Japanese prime minister talking about Web3. 
I mean, so clearly whatever's happening here is not stopping the rest of the world. No, and I was actually uh, just in ECC uh, in Paris last week as well. Nice. And, you know, like, so I'm not just saying like like Paris itself, but we had people from around the world who were there. Uh, and it was just it, just great positive vibes, I think, all around. Uh, and it was more of a builder conference. So you got to see like some technology that's happening behind the scenes like away from the regulation, away from the markets themselves. And it was just very exciting to actually be around that to see like, hey, you know what? In spite of like the, the, the tough year we had in 2022, like people are developing and you see a sentiment shift as well. I think a lot of people are trying to build out for real use cases uh, in crypto. Yeah, I mean, when you went to conferences even a year ago, I mean, anecdotally, it was like, I always joked that even at Bitcoin Miami and consensus, it was like until 20, I guess maybe 22 even, but 21, it was like every booth was an NFT project or, or some kind of altcoin that literally doesn't exist anymore. And then every conference I've gone to this year is like lawyers, accountants, <laughs> yeah, people building like hardware infrastructure. I, like you said, I mean, it's people that are really building. And then you take that a step further you have the United States where I think the vibe is understandably extremely dampened, less enthusiastic, uh, wondering what's going to happen. And then you, I mean, you're even talking about Paris. I was in London, but I'm going to Token 2049. And I know even last year at Token 2049, it's like crypto Coachella. I mean, people, it's like nothing has stopped. Nothing has changed. No bear market. I even felt that in London, which is probably the second harshest regulator after the United States. That's interesting. You know, yeah, I, I feel like there's real debate now. And you're totally right. I think like you go back a year ago and you went to these conferences, uh, maybe like the, you know, positive sentiment that you had in 2021 was still kind of with you. And as a result, you know, there was this kind of complacency of, well, we're doing well. And if we build it, there will come. Whereas now we're saying, let's have this debate between infrastructure and user experience, because we had to figure this out, guys. If we don't like, we don't know if people are going to be here. And so like, all these topics of account abstraction, fully homomorphic encryption, all these things are, I'm just like, holy crap, these are not phrases that I heard like six months ago, or well, maybe six months ago, but maybe not like a year ago. Like they're, they're all inside the zeitgeist at the moment. Yeah, I think everything I went to, which I'm talking about, it's exactly what you just said. In 2022 was sort of like right around Voyager Celsius, like maybe either slightly before or slightly after, but all before FTX. So there was still sort of, even at, you know, mainnet in uh, New York, which I thought was pretty damp and like, there was still some excitement because FTX hadn't happened. And then I flew immediately to Singapore. And like I said, it was like eh, the greatest, you know, crypto is still the greatest thing in the world. Was there anything at ECC that uh, you just said, you saw a lot of new things, terms you hadn't even heard. Was there anything that really, really impressed you? Because I heard it was actually an amazing conference. And yeah, no, I like. I think it was fantastic. I mean, the key themes, like I said, you know, Vitalik was there. He's, his whole talk was on account abstraction, which I think is kind of permeates through every project in some way, shape or form. Like, uh, you know, like, like Chainlink introduced like uh, cross chain interoperability, which uh, I mean, they, they mentioned this before, but they, they opened it to developers. But like there's a world out there where you could actually be on one L2 and, and you know, trying to uh, use an app on a different L2 to kind of get like, a certain result using Chainlink as the as the Oracle that kind of links the two, but not have to pay a link anymore because, you know, that's going to be dealt with by uh, by the uh, decentralized application instead. 
I think things like that uh, are very real now as a possibility. Um, so I, I love that idea that as a user, like I, I remember the first time I had like a uh, open a wallet and my friend sent me like some USDC. I was like, what am I going to do with this? Like I had no ETH. I had nothing. Like I couldn't move it. He was like, oh, come oh. Yeah. You need ETH. Also, Matt, if it was a MetaMask wallet, it didn't show up. Yeah. Right. Like that, you, you know, add it, go in and import the token. I still get that question from friends. It's still just we're I mean, we're still so far from easily usable on, on any of these wallets. Oh, yeah. I, and I, I think that's, that's that for me was like really pushing like the Web3 narrative because if you get that solved, which I think everyone's now kind of focused on like uh, within the builder community in some way, shape or form, then you can go a long way in terms of actually onboarding people. And I don't think it's going to happen like overnight still, but it's going to like be the door that opens and starts bringing people in over a pretty decent period of time. So, uh, Lib, before I let you go, I know we started a little late, and before I move on, move on to Chris, like broad strokes on what you're expecting from the market. I mean, are you still looking at the having cycle, and we just kind of are repeating history once again, and you know maybe it's boring for a little while here, or do you think that we could get something that could really shock the market right now? I mean, my vibe is still that like having a cycle, <laughs> wait till next year back of 2024 renewable market and we look back and laugh that we even uh, analyze these things so i would say let me like let's take the near term and, and like kind of six months out because i think right now especially if you're looking at stocks and the equity market there's a bit of a positive goldilocks kind of uh talk because a lot of people believe that we're in this in at least in the u.s like decelerating vol uh decelerating inflation excuse me like this inflationary trend alongside like pretty decent economic data i have to say like especially compared to like what's going on in europe uh, and, and other places china has been really having a rough time my issue with that is at the same time positioning is not very clean you've seen a lot of equity bears either get liquidated or they've like you know uh closed out their positions or you know they, they've kind of hedged themselves so for me, actually, like it was easier when I was very positive about the environment because, you know, no one had this trade on. Now I'm kind of just like, so, I might actually want to be very defensive in this very short term, particularly like the dollar has now bounced off uh, its kind of level about like, you know, maybe a week and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, I look at the DFY, right. the multilateral. Right, 100, 100, right. I mean, it basically went yeah. to like 99.5, put it in weekly tweezer bottoms and bounced hard. Right. And part of that's seasonal for sure. But like, that's a big deal for crypto. I mean, like we sit as the numerator to that, uh, to that, uh, you know, to do the USD. So I think there's that. Plus, the interest rate differentials are going to factor in huge, probably this week, because we're going to hear from the Fed, who may or may not say this is their last 25 basis point hike. I don't know. Um, the ECB is saying that they want to hike, but the PMI numbers that just came out, like weak economic data, I don't know if they can do that. So they, yeah, there's that. Japan is very unwilling to like take a hawkish position and move away from yield curve control. So if that's kind of the interest rate differentials we're working with, the dollar can actually remain stronger for longer in this kind of uh, trend, which doesn't make me feel comfortable with crypto at the moment. But to your point, I think that we're probably going to get a better environment as we like, get further into the second half of the year. I think by that point, the Mount Gox redistributions, those payments are going to be done. Uh, you know, people will start talking about the having in earnest. And, you know, I'm, I'm of two minds about the having. Like, I believe it's a positive event. 
but not for all the reasons people suggest. Like if you look at it on a historical trend and you actually do factor analysis on this stuff, it's like, well, 2012, you know, it was like the first time it actually happened. And then that was right before like we, uh, you know, like when, when Bitcoin really started traveling higher, that had a lot more to do with like the U.S. debt ceiling crisis at the yeah. time. Or like Brexit in 2016. Or just the very fact that Bit right. Or just the very fact that people were hearing about Bitcoin. I mean, it's very hard to to to, to compare the infancy into to a current cycle. Right. But the environment's gonna be good around that time when the Bitcoin happening is gonna happen. Ideally, we should get some positive news regarding like a Bitcoin spot ETF, for example, which should happen right around the end of March. Um, we'll probably see the central bank actually needing to pivot to like rate cuts. Because by that point, they'll realize there is a structural trend to inflation because we've got AI now. Like, what do you think AI is going to do to inflation? That's going to start, like, really increasing productivity, lowering input costs. Like, inflation is not going to stay high here. Like, there is a structural reason for it now to really start trending lower. And it's happening sooner than people think. Um, so, like, all those things are coupled, coupled together with, like, what's happening on Ethereum, which doesn't impact Bitcoin, but it impacts the ecosystem because... Cancun fork is going to be happening around the same time. Count abstraction probably become a more, much more real possibility at that point. Like, I, I think that by the time we get to Q4 into Q1 2024, uh, we're going to be in a much more constructive environment. That was a hell of a case. You really thought this out. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate that. I, I, I tend to agree with you, right? And I think, uh, but I think this is still one of those like, forgettable summers where you could probably just uh, come back in a couple months and worry about it. You know, every summer with Bitcoin seems to be so boring, um, which I think is probably a good thing in this case, considering all the chill. David, thank you so much for joining. You have a new Twitter account finally, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, I got I got too, too much flack over my old name. So. Are we going to get you tweeting ever? Or like, uh, uh, you know, I don't think I really need to invite that level of scrutiny in my life. Right. <laughs> but I will, I will enjoy it. But it's such a positive place, man. I don't know how you could possibly think that way. It's wonderful. Never get negative negative responses all. People are so kind. I mean, like, uh, all just hearts, man. All right, man. Well, I look forward to having you back soon, and I will also have to do it on Spaces, guys. Uh, check check him out if you want to see his not tweets on Twitter, but otherwise, you'll catch him here. Thanks, David. Thanks, Scott. All right, well, uh, so I'm not convinced that Doge is going to $1,000. Or million dollars or whatever yet but uh does does look kind of good and now is obviously the time it's wednesday and so that means uh we're bringing on chris and we're gonna actually look at some of these charts and figure it out because the title does say doge to a dollar bitcoin to 50k and that was based on what i was intending to talk to chris about not necessarily what i was uh, intending to talk to dave <laughs> do you think elon musk is going to make uh doge the global reserve currency and we're going to a trillion billion um no <laughs> But, but cycle-wise, um, you know, I do think Doge is headed up. So uh, we do have that. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of came across on my timeline there a few years back. We had that one guy on a TikTok uh, when Doge was getting up there toward the 70, 80 cents. And he was like, oh, man, here's why Doge is going to go to $1,000. Yep, top. Man, 
Yeah, that was the top. Yeah, and uh, so you know, I just kind of really I lost on Saturday Night Live, which it's uh, in and of itself was the uh, greatest top signal I think in the history of markets. When my aunt, who knows nothing about crypto, called me and said, "I heard about this dog thing, and Elon Musk is going to pump it tomorrow," and I said, "Hell, sell, 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 right?" Jim Cramer, sell, Unfortunately, I've sold, sold, sold like nine hundred percent lower already, so uh, I, I, I clearly missed the top of that one. I mean, on that cycle, I think I literally sold like at a penny because I was yeah, like, yeah. it was a great cycle. It was did great. I did great. Different than what it ever did before. Yeah. You know, Yeah, I, I did great. But uh, maybe we should start there. OK, because I mean, we do have kind of do you have a dose chart up? I don't want to uh, put you on the spot. But here. Yeah, here you go. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, I mean, for me, you know, um, my big thing is we had this pullback to this uh, congestion here. We've been going sideways. Uh, what is this? Swing low down here around June of last year. Yeah, for a year. Over. I mean, that, that's a great bit of accumulation there. Volume and price action looks real good. Um, so, I mean, for me, you know, we, we didn't even have enough pressure to send it down to a spring, which is just this dip below the range low. Instead, we just have what we call last um, last point of support here. And we're rallying up now. So, I mean, for me, I, I you know, when I look at this, I think we may got a one-two going on here. Three's up there around 22, almost 23 cents. Um but, you know, I, again, I think these third waves, when I'm looking at these charts, I'll probably overextend, uh, you know, the first real big third wave off the, off the lows. Uh, they'll probably extend. They're usually the 1.618 extension of the first wave. But uh, I think I think they'll all likely overextend and get further. But, I mean, for me, structurally, I want to see an impulsive breakout above the weekly pivot. I mean, to me, that's the big kind of, you know, price action thing I'm looking for. What's that? Is that about uh, 10 cents? Let me see. Yeah, it's just about a little bit more than that, about 11, just over 11 cents or so. 11. Yeah, 11 watt. What yeah, one yeah. watt? Yeah. So I to me, that's the big air. If we get impulsive breakout above that, man, you know, big shot of volume, nice candle spread breaking out and closing above it. Um, to me, that signals you should have bought down here. And, you know, we're going to run through the, run through uh, at least testing the high, if not getting higher. So you think the does should go back to 70 something cents? Yeah, I have, I have nothing. You know, there's nothing in the chart here that says it shouldn't. There's nothing in there that says, oh, my God, you know, there's no reason we shouldn't get up there. Um, I know a lot of people wouldn't, you know, right now, there's still some very par very bearish people out there. I, You know, it's it's tough, man. It's a tough life, right, with emotions and trading. But um, there's absolutely nothing going on in the charts that says that, you know, further down should be your first thought. Um, now, that doesn't mean it can't go down. But it's got, you know, all these charts, they got work to do uh, to get down there. So... You know, my, my default is up and I trade it up until, you know, information comes in and says something different and then we'll trade it down. Yeah. Speaking of uh, when my hand called and that gratuitous top for Saturday Night Live, this is what it looked like, right? There was the monster. I mean, literally RSI was at 97, 97. And that's when it got the 45 cents, <laughs> right? Massive bearish divergence, the clearest head and shoulders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could draw the head and shoulders neckline in, in multiple different ways, but like, this is as toppy when you also align it with sentiment and news as you can possibly get. I mean, zooming in on now, like also you kind of have this breakout right here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe you're going to get this, maybe you get a dip. It's only a few more cents. I wouldn't necessarily wait for it if you're bullish on this, but uh, I mean, this, I, whatever looks good. It is overbought. Yeah. I mean, overall, I mean, like you said, you might get a bit of a pullback there, but I think, uh, I think there's a good, you know, a good reason or a good narrative going on here, why we should have this, you know, further, you know, heading further up here. So, I mean, 
it's it's definitely not a terrible chart, you know, to look at. Uh, like I said, been going sideways here for a year. Um, volume continues to drop off throughout the range. Um, you know, again, you, you've got a lot of selling going on up here. You have a bit of volume. You had some more showing up here. You don't have any selling really going on. You get very, very little selling going on down here at the bottoms. And that's what you want to see. You know, you don't want to see the selling going on at the bottoms if you're looking for accumulation. You know, I see that on Bitcoin too. I like, I don't know if you like, we can bring up a Bitcoin chart, but actually I was looking at this range on the four hour, um, that we've been in obviously massive, like look at the massive volume at the range highs and lows every time. Yeah. Like just massive. Right. So like right. massive, uh, selling from the top, massive selling at the bottom to sweep the range, massive selling when it hit the top here, massive buying into the top and then massive selling down this time, just almost no volume on this breakdown, slight spike. But there was yeah. none when he reached the range lows here and none here. So, yeah, I see a bear flag, but this also feels like it could just do what this did. Yeah. Like yeah. fake out below the range and then just surprise everybody and head up here. And this part might get in the breaks down anyways. But yeah, we've got the FOMC here in a few hours. Um, you know, I mean, if we look, if we zoom out real quick on the daily, I mean, what do we do? We hit the daily pivot. So, as this was my target on the breakdown. Right. That's also the daily 50 MA there. Exactly, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you can stay right here in case guys are wondering. Three candles now on the, sitting on the 50 MA. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, if we're actually looking at this range here on the daily, you know, um, we, we've got this this move from the, from the uh, swing high coming down here, and you see the volume's dropping off. And then all you get, like you were saying, is just that spike of volume down there at the bottom. That's usually not indicative of uh, of distribution. Distribution, we usually say, when you get to that final move down, you're going to see candle spreads getting bigger and bigger on the way down, volume expansion. You know, you got the follow through, right? You got the, the the market jumps in on it and it starts selling finally, but we're just not seeing that there. And we found the, you know, support here at the pivot. And I don't know, you know, if I'm looking at that, I, you know, I think there's a good case to be made for this thing potentially rallying up here. Now, if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't, you always say, you know, should have other targets. You know, again, if we get an impulsive breakdown through the daily pivot here, uh, which is basically a swing low, four hour or later candle, you're getting a big volume, big candle spread and a close below. Well, then we'll look down here around 27,000. But until that happens, you know, again, everything is up. Everything is up. You know, your default should be up. Too many people out there, especially, you know, amateur traders out there trying to short every top trying to long every bottom the you know zoom out to a larger trend or a larger time frame what's your trend and then you trade in the direction of that trend stop trying to get cute and you know guessing where the tops are and you know and the reversals are and everything just buy the pullbacks oh i can't hear you man some reason I was muted. I just you also have to have a very specific reason for those trades. Like to just jump in because you think it feels bad is not the move. So somebody said, uh, Jewel said, is it not a bear flag? To be clear, it currently looks like a bear flag, but nothing's confirmed until you break out of it. So if it breaks down, you would call it a bear flag. And then if you want, you know, you would look at it. I mean, you could either draw the flagpole up here. I mean, maybe this is really the uh, more kind of honest approach. And that would give us probably... Yeah, 28,251. I mean, it's not even so far low. We've all been sort of expecting 28,5. Everyone's looking at it. So yeah. through that would be nothing. Listen, I wouldn't be surprised today, but also, so like if you were looking to short though, you'd be looking to short up here, not just in the middle of this potential thing. 
Right. Because, yeah, you can take a short here with a really tight invalidation. So if you're right and you retest the range lows and it goes down, you make money. But there's just nothing to do right here. That I mean, that's yeah, yeah. A real point. And that's one of the biggest skills in trading is you know just understanding. First of all, stop trading. Stop trading ranges. Uh, most people can't do it successfully. It's really difficult. And when they try, they're usually entering and exiting. You know, range EQs. Right. They're usually, you know, if you get this go up there, you know, middle of the range is where people seem to want to enter and. And in and, and leave, and it just it doesn't make any sense, right? Um, you want to you want to make sure that uh, that if you are going to trade a range, you, oh, first of all, you got to understand how ranges work, and most people don't. But other than that, you know, you want to be, you know, taking your trades at the tops and at the bottoms of the ranges, not anywhere around the middle here, which is where people tend to get impatient and jump in there. So it is what it is. We'll see what happens. You know, everybody's expecting, you know, hundred almost hundred percent for the uh, you know FOMC to get the twenty five uh, point basis point rate hike. Uh, so, you know, the market should have it, you know, um, it's going to be his tone after that's going to matter. Right. If everybody's yeah. expecting 0.25, I listen, yeah. I, I bet we do this, that this is going to be wrong by the way, but I bet we do this. I bet we get a big wig down and then just absolute like uh, moon for no apparent reason, because that would, uh, just freak everyone out or we pop right back into the range and then go down. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, one thing about FOMC, it's that a, the first reaction is usually wrong. <laughs> and, and B, that you usually get like uh, liquidations in both directions and then nothing. You end up. Yeah, yeah. yeah because you have a lot of, you know, you've got a lot of, um, yeah, you've got a lot of bots and whatever out there, you know, and, and algos that are based on sentiment and algos that are based on, uh, you know, when, when, the, when the report's released, you know, and, you know, and then when he's speaking, you know, they, they kind of based on the words that are using it. So it automatically trades. And so you're going to get a lot of that whipsaw action. I, you know, I tell people, man, I don't trade that stuff. I stay out of the market when that happens. It's just almost 30 years ago. This is no reason to be in the market during news events. Uh, even if you're in the right direction, you'll probably get stopped out before it goes in that way. It's very frustrating. Yeah, uh, isn't that the time for uh, 50x leverage uh, tight stops? Yeah, yeah. Now, the big thing coming into this FOMC, though, is that, uh, you know, we missed jobs. Uh, you know, jobs were soft. Uh, and then, man, you know, that we, we missed the big, I mean, CPI was was at 4.1 the previous month, and we were looking at 3.1. So we're already looking for a big move down. We're talking about headline CPI, right? And we actually got three. So, I mean, it was even less than the big move or even more than the big move that we were looking for. And then on top of that, core CPI, man, broke five, got down 4.8. That, that was a huge move down. So, I mean, you know, they're going to look at that stuff, and they're going to, well, you know, I know we talked about the fact that we're going to keep raising, you know, through the end of the year, but, you know, maybe not. Yeah. So, uh, especially if we see this coming month, if we see it uh, some continuation lower, I, I think it really puts a lot of pr uh, pressure on the Fed to, uh, you know, not be not be raising anymore. So we'll see what happens after this one. Yeah. By the way, I just happened to be scanning charts while you're talking. I hadn't looked at this, but this looks really good on Solana. Yeah, Solana. Oh yeah, it looks I mean, like Solana. Yeah, I mean, about uh, loads printing now. Yeah, you've got the doji down there at the bottom. Uh, you got the two, you got the big candle before you print the big candle after. That's a daily. Yeah, I mean, most often that's that's a type of reversal right there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I like Solana still. Um, still, if I think continue up. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, that, that, I just happened to be scanning through and that jumped right out at me. What else are you looking at right now? Well, we, we've got some, um, let me see here. Uh, where is my charts? I think it's. This one here, we we've got a lot of these ranging on the weeklies here. Um, some of my the ones I like more, I like uh, Maker here. Yeah, you Maker. mentioned that last week, and it said nothing but go up. So there you are. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I wouldn't be surprised to see something like, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe something like this here. Let me make that a color everybody can see. Let's do the black on black. Just yeah, black on the blue there, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a bit higher up here, kind of pull back, you know, just a little bit below where it's at here, and then kind of fire up toward that uh, that weekly R1 pivot. You know, but, you know, 1655 here to maybe um, 1900, that kind of area. And then from there, I mean, if, if we can get a rejection, I mean, this would this would work out perfectly right back to the uh, the weekly pivot here at about 1200 and then kind of, you know, continue its way on up through this. But I mean, this is a this is clean. This is nice. Nice range here. Great drop off in volume. Uh, good. Almost a hammer candle here at the bottom. Really low volume. And then you see this, uh, you know, the, this rally up and this volume expansion as we go. And, uh, so that looks really good. I like that chart. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you mentioned that last week and clearly it's uh, done well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been watching near, uh, near is not looking terrible. Uh, I want to see some follow through in the breakout of this, uh, descending resistance here. So, you know, basically the, this, this horizontal dollar 62 area, but if we can get some impulsive breakout through there, I mean, I think, you know, we're probably rallying up here at least toward the pivot. Uh, again, this is the weekly here. Uh, and that'll get us up there at around seven dollars and seventy cents. Doesn't happen all in one shoot, obviously, but um, but yeah, I like the pullback here in the range. I like the movement up, pullback. I want to see a breakout here now to kind of give us that move up higher. Yeah, that looks. I mean, nothing looks bad to me. Uh, it's scary. I keep scanning through, and everything looks kind of okay. I mean, we all we had these big retracements the past like week or whatever, but they're all sitting right into support. Yeah, yeah. I mean. You know, again, it just it's it's up with you know so many things here. Um, SNX here, same kind of idea. So much accumulation on these charts. <laughs> That's a yeah, part. yeah. That's this one, uh, you know, I mean, it looks good here. Uh, we had quite a bit of volume still coming in at this at this recent swing high here. Uh, we've got this pullback. I want to see a breakout here. I want to see this hold as last point of support here, and I just want to see this continue to rally up, breakthrough. If we can do that. Um, you know, again, just kind of continuing to push out higher there. Let me see here. If we've got this, I mean, seven and a half dollars, seven dollars and forty-five cents gets you right up kind of this area right up there. Yeah, all my colors are off on these colored charts. Yeah, I mean, which is more than a two X. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, that's what I'd be looking for there. I want to see some further breakout above this. This is uh three dollars and thirty-nine cents. I want to see a breakout above that. But all of a sudden, that starts looking kind of good if we can get that. So, so you guys, it's just, uh, never a buy now. It's a if something happens that you're watching, that's when you become interested. So you and set an alarm and you don't charter. bet over these charts. Just set the alarm at that point, And when it goes off, go visit the chart and see if it's wicking through like crazy or if you've got volume and you're breaking out. Exactly, exactly. I mean, if you're trading, guys, I mean, that's what you're doing. You're looking for opportunities for potential opportunities to come, right? And that's what your time should be spent doing. You're not looking to trade right this second. Um, you know, you, you're going to get some sometimes, but most of the time, you're, you're, it should be this. It should be looking at the chart saying, okay, what's the larger structure? What are we looking at? And then let's zoom in and figure out, okay, at what point, you know, did we say, okay, this looks like an entry here? Um, you know, and did, so, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of, uh, you know, everybody, everybody wants to do that. You know, they're trading the minute they, they open the chart. They want to find something right that second. And, you know, most of the time it isn't what trading is. Yeah. Oh, one more. 
one more here is comp man comp yeah. had that, that monster run there right yeah comp like i was really watching it kind of lost the range highs there for me but yeah you have a different range see i had it like this i was like what happened <laughs> yeah no this is uh, uh this is absolutely fantastic um i mean again you know you got great volume drop off the range develops you know look at that low down there uh at the spring boom rallies back up this is what you want to see we get the pullback the retest of the uh range resistance as support um man i'm looking higher up here at around 217 dollars uh okay. you know and, and it just this this is just pretty clean i mean this is one of the cleanest uh kind of accumulations that, that I've seen great rally off the, off that spring there. Just absolutely awesome. And man, I mean, you know, it, it may pull back a little bit further here or whatever, but I, you know, for me, I think we should be at least looking at 217 right now. Yeah, I had, I think I had 175 on mine for the breakout because of that low here and that high. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's, it's, it's this swing, this resistance support right here. I mean, yeah, it makes our one pivot on the weekly. Perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that looks great. Uh, I was brought up comment here. He said, Scott is telling some alpha there. Don't make the trade. Let it come to you. I learned that from Chris. <laughs> as you guys were wondering. But yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is like, yeah, I, I used to do that same thing where I would like stand through the same 50 charts every day, every hour. Yeah. And you should be able to look at a chart at a certain point and just decide what areas you're interested, set an alarm and never look at it until it hits that area. Because everything else between is just you looking at an opportunity to make a bad decision. Chart trying to make something happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. You seen where the video of the guy like blowing on the chart. <laughs> well, but I mean, you know, and, and that's the thing, you know, uh, when you first get into trading, uh, before you become consistently profitable with it, you're you like stared that it's fun, right? You're staring at the charts 24 seven. Well, it's fun until your eyes can't keep open anymore. Right. But once you've been doing this for years and you get into this rhythm and you know, you, You've got your system all figured out. You got things figured out. I mean, at that point, you don't want to stare at the charts anymore. You know, you, you're like, listen, just, okay, let me see. Where can I be looking at later? Okay, I'm going to set it right there, and I'll come back to that, you know, if it gets there. Um, it just, it's just one of those things, right? You know, if you've been doing this 20, 30 years, you'd, it's okay to still look at the charts. But, man, it's not like it was when you first started, and you thought that every time you opened uh, the chart, you'd be able to make money, right? I have kids now, too, so I can't do that. <laughs> That was a lot easier before I had children when I started doing it. So yeah, now now it's right. definitely a, a lot more difficult. So uh, any more you're looking at, or I mean, it's time for us to go anyway. No, no, no I, th I think it's probably it. Um, but I, I do I like that comp. That that breakout was nice and clean. And like I said, you know, I, I think we may get a little bit higher first before we get it. You know, pull back down to the range resistance or uh, range uh, eyes again. But I mean, overall, I that thing looks like I think just wants to keep going. Um. And then that, that accumulation again was, you know, from, uh, what was that? June again, it was from June. So, you know, we, it's, it's just the same thing we saw with, you know, with Bitcoin, basically a bottoming structure and then we're breaking out or most of them breaking out. Right. So your default yeah. thinking should be higher. You know, it's, if your information comes in, we'll change, but you know. Yeah. Jules, Jules has two different ranges between you both, but it gives you a respective trade. Amazing. Scott sees rejection and Chris says it's great. Uh, show it, show a chart to a hundred people, and you might get a hundred different uh, responses. But I, to be quite honest, I like his better. So, so there you go. But yeah, it happens. You're not going to agree on uh, where you draw your lines, but it's always fun to discuss it. So, Chris, man, thank you so much. Everybody, follow TX West Capital on Twitter, and I'll uh, see you back next Wednesday. Yes, sir. All right, man. Thank you, sir. All right, take care.
All right, guys, quick housekeeping. Uh, Crypto Town Hall today is at 1 o'clock for the first time instead of at 10, 15 a.m. because of FOMC. But uh, I will only be there for the first hour because, as you guys probably know, I am uh, have a conversation I'm hosting with uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. today at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, specifically to talk about, hopefully, hopefully, specifically, specifically to talk about Bitcoin, money, monetary policy, freedom, uh, and hopefully not to talk about all the other things that people seem to obsess about with his campaign because, you know, when it gets down to it, I don't do politics. The goal right now for me is to try to get all these guys on and really hear how much they know about Bitcoin, what their position is on it. Uh, next Monday at 10, 15 a.m. on Crypto Town Hall, I've got uh, Mayor Francis Suarez, who's also running for president, joining. Uh, I doubt I'm getting Trump and Biden. But maybe uh, Vivek will be able to get next uh, in the line. But I will see you guys today. I'm assuming that most of you are going to show up on Twitter Spaces at 2 p.m. If you don't, it will be recorded. We'll be able to share it. And I'm only a very small part of that. I'm hosting, but it's myself, Robert Breedlove, Marty Bent, Mark Moss, and Natalie Burnell. I will see you guys on Twitter Spaces this afternoon. Peace. Let's go.